Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. So we have had all of our mentors on, and so to round this week off, in celebration of our 100th episode and surpassing that, we have the awesome Joe Fairless. Welcome, Joe. Well, thanks a lot for having me. And holy cow, I mean, first and foremost, congratulations to you two. I mean, what, what's, been, what's been the main thing you've taken away from 100 episodes? Oh, man, it, it's Just, almost like guilty pleasure. We've learned so much. We're trying to give back a ton, but we've learned so much and taken in so much great advice and so much great content. I've just met so many just amazing people that are doing so much. And... Mm-hmm. To that note, you know, I'm going to steal a little line from Joe. You are in for a treat today because <laughs> Joe, if you recall, which I'm sure you do, was on episode four. And that, I mean, wow, or a little over 100 episodes ago. But let's just give a little bit back about Joe and himself. Joe, in 2013, began buying multifamily properties. So 2018 just happened. 2013, let's keep that pocket in there. He now controls over $265 million worth of real estate. What? Pretty much primarily, I think, all in Texas today. Uh, yep. Prior to that, the youngest VP at an award-winning advertising agency in New York City. He's also the host of the extremely popular leading iTunes podcast, The Best Real Estate Investing uh, Advice Ever, which he's up and around 1,200, 1,300 episodes now. So daily podcast, check it out. You have something for you for sure in all topics. He's had guests, Barbara Corcoran, Robert Kiyosaki, Emmett Smith, and Tony Hawk. And he's a regular contributor for Forbes uh, and the author of the best real estate investing advice ever, volumes one and two. Um, past that, that book, Any Profits Go to the Junior Achievement Charity. And you got to check out February 9th and 10th. Uh, Joe is having his best ever conference. Uh, we were there last year. It's filled with just action-taking real estate investors. And this year, there's not many tickets left, but if you use hashtag JNP, you can get a discount on your ticket. Uh, the conference is just, it's all-encompassing, action-packed real estate, not just multifamily de- uh, designated. So it's got something for everybody and you're going to learn a ton and it's two great days. So welcome, Joe. Well, thanks a lot. And I am uh, looking forward to seeing you two at the conference and you two are going to be on a panel about... Uh, investors who have just done tremendous things over the last year. And I'm looking forward to hearing your stories. Um, you know, I obviously know it a bit, but just talking more in depth at the conference. And you mentioned you know, you've come across a lot of really interesting people during your 100 um, interviews. And that's one of the reasons why I do my podcast, you know, the, it's the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. And over the last 12, 1300 days, I've had an interview go live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, like seven days a week. And just through those relationships, you know, we're going to be talking about entrepreneur stuff and real estate investing. But through those relationships, it served to help me uh, improve myself and then also build a network around me of people who are doing bigger and better things. Yeah, love it. It's an it's an amazing feeling to get to talk to all of these people and talking about talking about growth during the past year. So it's been about six months since we last had you on podcast. If I remember correctly, on that podcast you controlled a hundred and thirty five million dollars. You've doubled. Doubled. Wow! Isn't that crazy? Six, 
months. <laughs> Crazy, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you feel like you did that? That's amazing. Uh, I did that through, uh, identifying what I'm especially talented in and making sure that I focus on that skill set, and then also know what other skills are required to be successful in our industry and partnering or hiring people who have those skill sets. And that's the secret. I mean, that's the recipe. You, you do what you're very, very good at, but you have to know what you're good at within the context of the business that you're in. And if you do that, then you will be compensated the most possible because you know all of us on this call and all of uh, everyone listening, we all have one or two things that we're especially talented at. Uh, more, we could compete against anyone in the world on those particular skill sets. Uh, and so when we leverage those, then you know we accomplish things that most people don't accomplish because they they don't they don't leverage their skill sets and don't go through that identification process. What are those one and two points for you? I'm really good at building relationships and I'm really good at marketing. Uh, building relationships, uh, th- that is real estate. That's the foundation of real estate. Uh, both, I mean, because ultimately we're in finding the money and finding the deal business. Yeah, I invest my own money in our deals alongside our investors. And... Um, the relationship aspect of this business is com- comes easy to me. It's just I, I enjoy it, uh, and specifically how how that translates into business results. Well, it's it, it, it's easy to um, do something that you're you naturally gravitate towards, and then when you naturally gravitate towards it, then you know, people are going to become attracted to you because you're just doing what you're, you, you enjoy doing. So when, with relationships, I, I, my primary role is making sure that we've got the money we need to close the deals. And my business partner's primary role is to uh, identify those deals initially and then do the asset management of those deals once we close on them. Clearly, there's a lot of overlapping and other things that both of us do as well as our team. But ultimately, you need money and you need, you need a deal. And then you need to make sure the deal is successful through the proper execution of it. So um, I'm the money person and I work with investors who are interested in investing in our deals. And I talk to them about the deals as well as I'm the primary point of contact for our current investors so I'm the one who puts together the monthly emails to the investors, uh, along with a couple team members. But ultimately, I'm the one who reviews them and and hits send and makes sure that they're they're good to go, uh, as well as um, you know the the relationships with uh, some some of our vendors who are uh, integral in the process of what we do. So. The relationships and then the marketing side, I mean, which ties into investors and growing our company, as well as, uh, you know, there is overlap in the asset management of our portfolio. And some of it is my marketing um, advice that is implemented, uh, whether it is, you know, the, the um, implementation for getting more leases or whether it's um, 
you know, selecting the right name based on the dem- primary demographic that we're targeting for the property. Um, you know, relationships and marketing are what I'm, I'm focused on. I love it. What would you be doing right now if you weren't sitting here with us on the podcast? I would probably be having a uh, an investor conversation with someone who has inquired about investing with us. I receive a decent amount of those or we receive a decent amount of those through both uh, my website, joefairless.com and our company website, ashcroftcapital.com, as well as just email referrals from current investors. Um, I... So I, I suspect if we hadn't had this blocked off in the calendar uh, a, a little while, then I'd be having one of those conversations. Thanks. So we know your numbers. I mean, $265 million. That's to the, to the regular person. That's mind boggling. But truly, what do you consider to be your greatest achievement? Uh, I think the... Uh, f- the intentional focus on personal development is my greatest achievement. Uh, the, the immediate thought that came to mind was marrying Colleen, my wife, <laughs> but I wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't uh, in, intentionally focused on personal development. So I, I didn't mention that uh, Colleen because I think there there's a precursor, and that is personal development. So the greatest achievement is me continuing to stay focused on improving uh, all aspects of my life. You know, whenever whenever I started out with uh, every year, uh, I do instead of goals, I do categories of improvement, and I track how I did last year in each of these categories, like body, um, uh, fun. Uh, family, um, uh, business, and very two or three other categories. And one one thing might be for body. Uh, it might be last year. My goal was run fifty miles a month. And uh, what I found is that that wasn't um, encouraging me to do something daily. It I might run say like seven miles in a day or six miles in one day, but then I wasn't consistently active. So last year's category improvement was 50 miles a month. This year's category improvement is uh, doing at least 10,500 steps, 60 push-ups in a 60-second plank every single day. And that at least gets me active. And what we were talking about before we started recording is Colleen, my wife, is now she's also a personal trainer. She is training me Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And that the, the daily activity snowballed into the uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. Uh, whereas if I had maintained what I was doing, if I wasn't focused on personal development and I wasn't intentional about it, I would just still be doing the 50 miles a month. And that doesn't come anywhere close to the level of activity and the health and the you know the the energy that I have now that I'm I'm doing daily stuff as well as being trained Monday Wednesday Friday, uh, so that's the core of it all. And that, quite frankly, is the the line in the sand between successful and unsuccessful entrepreneurs. If you are continually focused on growth 
and and contribution, um, but definitely growth initially. Uh, then you're going to be setting yourself up for success, and then in, incorporating a contribution component um, certainly. Uh, so that th- that's that would that's what I would say. I was thinking I'm, I'm laughing because I was thinking a great goal for you would be to try and max or match your bench press to how much uh, assets you have under control. <laughs> oh so. man, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't remember. I saw. I know you played college football, and I didn't play at the level you played. You played at Loyola. Loyola. Uh, Lehigh. 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 You played at Lehigh in the Mer- Patriot League, right? Correct. Yeah. Patriot League. My brother went to West Point, and so I I remember what league you're in. I played at a smaller school, not as not as legit at where you played. I played um, at Mary Hardin Baylor for one year, Division three football. Uh, and I don't remember what my bench press was, but that would have been where I peaked out um, at my bench press. It, it was probably around 265, uh, but that's not where I'd be benching right now. So yeah, that that would be a good goal. Let's go Colleen, you're over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all right, all right. We're not, not putting you under pressure here. What would you What would you consider to be your most memorable entrepreneurial experience so far? Uh, I'd say. The moment I was at the Days Inn hotel room prior to closing on my first syndicated deal, the reason why I was at the Days Inn hotel room is because it had the cheapest weekly rate out of any hotels at all of Cincinnati, Ohio. I didn't have it really any money. I mean, okay, so I had some... Not, uh, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars in the bank. My bank account was dwindling because I had left my advertising career seven months, six, seven months prior. And I had a property under contract in Cincinnati, but it did not go through initially because I I extended it um, because we were doing a master lease deal and the lender had not given written approval that the uh, master lease was okay with them. And the seller and the brokers and everyone was saying, yeah, just, it's fine. Just sign it. And <laughs> the, no way was I going to sign something because then if you know, they would now have all of our money, but then what if the lender, they meaning the, the seller, would have all of our money, the down payment money. But then what if the lender came back and said, uh, I don't recognize this. Then I would have to go to court to try and get that money back, and it would have been a hot mess. So I intentionally delayed it, but by delaying it, uh, I, it was it was very stressful um, because not only did I have a dwindling bank account, but I had investors who had previously committed to the deal. Uh, a couple of them backed out, and I. I remember being in the Days Inn hotel room and, you know, it smells like mildew and, you know, there's people screaming, there's hair, dirty, you know, hair all over the place from other people. It's nasty, nasty place. And I remember being there and I thought, you know, what would a billionaire do? And this goes back to my personal development stuff. I said, what would a billionaire do right now? Well, uh, we, because we're doing a master lease, we did not have to have an appraisal on the property because it's the same lender. We're simply taking a position in the deal 
to take over the, we receive the income, but we pay all the expenses. So appraisal was not required, but I thought an appraisal would be helpful to secure and shore up all of my investors to show them that we actually are buying a really good deal. And even though I did not have the money, I put it on a credit card and I got an appraisal done. And that appraisal showed that we were buying a property that was about $450,000 more than what we were paying. It was worth $450,000 more than what we were paying. And I used that appraisal and I secured the rest of the investors. And if I didn't have that personal development approach, if I didn't listen to Tony Robbins and watch YouTube videos with Les Brown and, um, and some others, then I wouldn't have approached it that way. So what is the most memorable? It's, it's remembering that moment in time and remembering to think like people think who are at a higher level than I'm at and think how they would approach the situation and then approach it the way they would approach it. And then eventually I'll be in their shoes. I love it. I love it. That's, that's magical. And you, it's because you had two options there, right? You could have just winged it and just said, okay, you know, I'll find the money and really just, you know, just trust me, it's going to be a good property or go out there and take action. And we we hadn't talked about this before, but so you quit your job when you, when you're at the peak, there's so many people who who think about, you know, I'm going to quit my job. I want to quit my job and be a real estate investor and maybe haven't, haven't done anything or or, or is doing some, when is that point? Okay. Because for a lot of people, it's so difficult to, to find that moment. Just maybe they have a family or they, they have a set, you know, income they're making every year and that comfortability. So what is the difference between maybe leaving your job and, and staying at your job? If you want well, to become an investor. I, I, I believe that we all have unlimited potential. And if, if that is a shared belief with um, some people listening then it's not a matter of having a certain amount in your bank account or if certain things have lined up. It's a matter of how much of a priority is this for you and how do you prioritize it in your life? Because if you have it at the top or near the top of your priority list, then you're going to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish because you're forced to. Because that's just the 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 way you've ranked it in your life and your approach. Yeah. So it's and certainly there's a more conservative approach that you know you could interview someone and they would say you need to have six months worth of reserves in your bank account, you need to have, you know, certain things built, maybe a website, maybe you have some traction with some investors, maybe you have a property. All those things, I agree. Hey, get them. But ultimately you can have all those things and then you drain your bank account, uh, the property falls through and investors yes, peace out on you. Uh, but if you still have prioritized this at the top of your list and you're focused on it, that's what's most important. So that's when I would leave is when it is a priority. And ideally you have that other stuff as you know secondarily. That's great. Was there... well? I'll phrase this as, is there a part of being an entrepreneur that's your least favorite? Sure. Uh, Let me think. I I definitely can come up with something. Um, I'd say it's a love-hate relationship with not having a large office of employees to interact with every day. 
because whenever I was working at the advertising agencies in New York City, I'd go in to work, which I didn't enjoy doing, getting up and going in to work. Although in New York City, you know, I walk to work, so that's, that's pretty cool. You get exercise on the way to work. But when you're there, it, it's, it's pretty damn cool to be surrounded by a bunch of people and bouncing ideas off of each other and, and the energy and the community that, that, that creates. Uh, as an entrepreneur, unless you intentionally choose to build a large company, which I don't want to have a lot of employees because I, I just that, that's not part of my vision for a company, um, then you're not you're going to be more isolated. You're not going to have that community vibe. And sure, you can go up to a WeWork type of office space and collaborate with people, uh, but it's just not the same. Um, so that's my least favorite is the uh, not as much interaction on a team standpoint for with from a team standpoint. Um, but if it was so much of a pain point for me that I want, I needed to change it, I would, I would figure a solution out. Uh, but I'd say that comes to mind as the least, my least favorite. What's your team look like today? I, and let's talk your immediate team because, of course, you have so many different partners with management companies, other things, helping properties. But your your basic your team that's helping with your marketing, your podcast. And what's the size of your team? Got Frank, my business partner in Ashcroft Capital. Uh, he and I lead the charge with Ashcroft. I've talked about how we divide and conquer uh, earlier uh, the responsibilities, and then we've got uh, a couple underwriters who are locked in a basement somewhere, um, <laughs> windowless, and just underwriting deal after deal after deal for us. We have we each have an executive assistant, and we also are, have uh, someone who does social media for us, and we also have someone who does content for us. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, we have four to five em, em, contractor employees in our on each property and we got 12 properties but uh, our immediate team would be those people i described that's great thanks so if you never ever ever had to work again would you choose not to and why no no i don't think anyone with money would say they would choose not to work. I think people who don't have money would say they choose not to work, but then once they get money, then they'll see the other side of the coin. No, I, I, I'm doing what I want to do. I, certainly I could optimize what I'm, I'm doing now so that I play a more strategic role and a less in the business role, more on the business. But uh, I mean, I, I could quit right now. I mean, I'd be done with everything. I mean, and things would be great. Uh, so I'm, I'm choosing to work and I'm choosing to do things that I enjoy doing. And you know, that, 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 that includes hanging out with you two and everyone listening. So, you know, that, that's, um, that's the approach I take. To get so much done in such a quick time, what's an entrepreneurial hack that you use to stay focused and driven? Well, I, I have a notebook and the notebook has an affirmation that I, I write 15 times every single day. And that affirmation is, I am a strong, confident, successful, and handsome real estate billionaire entrepreneur. 
who lives 265. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> who, who benches 265 in my sleep. Yep. Uh, so I write that down 15 times every single day. I just started that about seven months ago. Uh, I've missed a couple days. But besides that, I write down every single day. And that reinforces who I am. It's, a very, it's very powerful to say, I am, and then whatever you say. Uh, we have to be really careful about what we, what we say we are because one of the greatest forces in, the, in human nature is to be consistent with who you think you are. So if you say, I am powerful, then you live in the powerful state. Or if I'm such an idiot, I can't believe I did that. You're, you're going to think of yourself as an idiot and that's going to have a ripple effect in how you approach things. You might not think it. You might think that's you know, ridiculous. I know you two don't, but someone listening might think that's ridiculous, but it's absolutely true. It's a real thing. And um, it's important to, to give yourself props, to give myself props because in business, there's so many things that can go against you. You might as well be an ally for yourself rather than an enemy. Yeah, love I love all of that. And what you said is so true. Affirmations do work. Words are very powerful. And I'm going to use that affirmation today. Well, I was just thinking, so we had you on about six months ago. You're at 130. You started us about seven months ago. And uh, of course, you already had 130 million, but you basically doubled in the last six or seven months. And you know the correlation can be hmm. very strong. That's crazy. I did not know I doubled in the last six or seven months. I had, did not think of that. So I, I appreciate you mentioning that. I'll have to... <laughs> I'm tucking that away for, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all about celebrating your victories and that's a huge victory. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Thank you. You hear a lot of advice thrown out there to, about entrepreneurship, et cetera. What's, what's something you hear frequently that you disagree with? Um, I disagree with, I'd say, um, well, I'd say, uh, it might seem like I'm contradicting myself, so let me elaborate. Um, that the uh, the what is that movie, The Secret, where they just I, now I haven't seen the movie or I haven't read the book, by the way. So disclaimer. But the the thought process or the uh, the idea that if you just say something and you don't do anything, it's going to happen. That's so stupid. You can't just say something and just hope it happens. You actually got to go do it and. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm going to, a lot of people might hear this and I'm glad you asked that follow-up question because a lot of people might hear it and think, oh, I'm just going to write this down 15 times and I'm going to go still eat Cheetos on the couch and, and watch Netflix. Well, that doesn't work. You got to live in that role that you're assigning yourself. And what would a strong, confident, successful, and handsome real estate billionaire entrepreneur do? Well, I, I would research what Bill Gates does, what Mark Cuban does. Now, I don't know if they're handsome or not. That's up to you. But I would research what, what they do and then do that. And I have researched what they've done. And they read, I think uh, Bill Gates reads a book a week. And so now I'm on a reading tear. I, I'm, I'm reading a ton. And What are you reading I, right now? Uh, the 33 Strategies of War by Robert Greene. And um, uh, Missed Fortune 101 by Doug something. I forget his last name. Just completed that book. And Zoo by James Patterson. I just finished that book. So I'm attempting to read a book a week. And 
so that that's the the bad advice that I hear is think it, write it down, and then it will come true. That's stupid. Think it, write it down, and then take action as though you're that person. If you don't know what action to take, then follow others who are doing what you want to do. Great advice. All great advice. My uh, my sister and brother, if they're listening right now, they're avid uh, avid followers of the secret, mm-hmm. and they they're all about putting it out in the universe, and it'll happen for you. <laughs> Um, but I think they actually take the action steps to get what they want without even realizing it. But there are a lot of people that think, okay, I'm just going to say I am a millionaire and, and then sit on my thumbs and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not do anything, not take the action. But so that was all great ad- advice. Thank you. How would you like your business and well, yeah, your company and we look for 30 years from now, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, the this is like the tombstone thing. I've thought about this. What I want on my tombstone, and ultimately, it's that those who I came across are better off because I came across them. That's great. And that's really it. And yeah. Just, just the people I speak to, the people who interact with me, their life is better, and as a result, there's likely a ripple, positive ripple effect with people they interact with, and that that's that's really it. Nice. Oh. Well, so here's another question. What is the what is the best business idea that you've ever had that you'll never use? And this best, is going off of like the shiny, shiny yeah, object syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think um, it's a great question. Uh, two two things come to mind. One is just buying triple net lease properties. It just seems like such a breeze <laughs> to do <laughs> compared to what we do. Yeah. These value add deals. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I'll be doing that in my life. Um, I, I prefer the pain apparently. <laughs> uh, and the reason why, I mean, in all seriousness is it's just, it's likely not going to have the upside that the deals I do have. And even though mine have more risk, although not a lot of risk relative to other types of real estate, uh, I think it's justified compared to triple net. But triple net is a darn good idea. Uh, And then the second is having a local podcast focused only on Cincinnati people since I live in Cincinnati. I have thought about that many times and I thought it'd be cool to interview people like local leaders and just be Cincinnati specific but I just don't know if it's um, if it justifies the time that it would take to do that uh, so I'm not sure about that well that's a great idea I've been thinking about just doing like a, a series of podcasts on our podcast this uh, the REI Foundation podcast just on people in New Jersey, like investors yeah. in New Jersey and how they are, you know, in comparison to the rest of the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the fact that you've had sort of the same thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Maybe one of us will do something with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably you. Ideas. <laughs> so you get thrown up in a pit with a lion. How do you tame it? Uh, well, I'm thinking literally, not fig- figuratively. So. Um, if we're speaking literally, because I would have a different answer, those figuratively, if we're speaking literally, uh, I would 
try to, I'd throw something one direction and then I'd try and escape the opposite direction very quickly. Figuratively? Uh, figuratively, I, I'd identify what's at the core of why they're roaring so loudly. And then I work on that, not directly, but indirectly. Um, and then I ultimately identify a, a mutual purpose. Uh, the book Crucial Conversations is the best book for how to tame a figurative lion. I highly recommend that book. And they talk about how you identify a mutual purpose and then build, your, build the conversation up from there. Nice. Great answer. So what's your biggest fear as an entrepreneur? That I lose all my money and I go bankrupt and I live on the street. And, and, and I, I, I look at, we, we, uh, my, my wife and I um, just took advantage of the tax code 179, where if you buy a, 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 a vehicle that's 6,000 pounds something, uh, then you get a significant write-off. And it's still it's still available for everyone listening, but it's slightly less than than last year. And I was wanting the minivan. We don't have any kids. I was wanting the minivan because I'm thinking doomsday scenario. We have to live in a minivan. We have to live in this car. Then I want a minivan to be able to sleep in. I mean, that's how I think. I always think like I'm gonna lose it all, and that gives me my edge because I'm yep. I'm you know constantly not not it's not a a constant thought at the forefront, but it's a, it's a worry of mine. And I do everything I can to mitigate that risk. So you feel the drive. It's, it's, you're putting yourself in that holiday Inn each time making yep. those- days in. Yeah. Holiday Inn was way too expensive. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the days in was like $29, $29 a day or something. I think yep. I negotiated down to 23 because I was staying a week. That's great. Well, one of our questions here is what makes you uncomfortable, but that sounds like what, what makes you uncomfortable because yeah. You are all, it sounds like you're always sort of uncomfortable because you have that back of your mind. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's different between, and just to be clear, I'm not stressed about it. Mm -hmm. I, it takes a a whole lot to stress me out and to get me upset. I'm a really even, even kill kind of guy. It's more that I'm not complacent. So it's not something that, gnaws at me and it does not keep me up at night for the most part, but it is something that is, is present in the back of my mind. Um, and, uh, is something that I will always think of regardless of where I'm at in the process. And I think that's also a misconception with people who have money and have accomplished things is that they don't have the same types of of concerns that people in not in those situations have and it's not it's simply not true everyone's got some challenges it might be a higher quality of challenge um but there's also greater risk of a big old drop it's and 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 so um so it, it's it's an interesting dynamic, uh, you know. Whenever I reach out to people, like um, I spoke to Tony Shea, he's the CEO of Zappos. I interviewed him on my podcast, and, and he's I'm pretty sure he's a billionaire. And uh, hearing his thoughts on challenges that he has with growing his business and things he's focused on, it's like, and 
those are similar things that anyone, let alone you know someone who's got uh, in my position or someone else's position, anyone would have some challenges similar to what he's talking about. Not the exact same ones, but similar ones. The piece here about about just having more money and, and it, it resolves problems. It just you, you get bigger problems, and everybody has their own problems. Everybody has their own problems that that come come across, whether it's a lot of money or not a lot of money. And when I think people think the key to having having happiness is tied to money. It's not always the case, right? So yeah, there's a documentary on Netflix called happy and they, they have a study on that documentary that says, uh, people who make more than I want to say $50,000 have the same level of happiness as people who have a million dollars in their bank account. And the reason why is because once we have our core needs met, then um, it's up to us to determine how happy we, we want to be. Uh, because we can have, you know, everyone knows uber rich people who are pissed off the world and miserable to be around. And everyone knows people who don't have any money and um, still find a way to have, find joy in the world. Uh, so really, it's about getting our key needs met, and then it's up to us to determine how happy we decide to be. Happiness is a decision. Yep, I hear you. I agree. Every day. Following that train of thought, there. So, so what to you is success as an entrepreneur? Doing what I am here to do on Earth. Uh, so, d- le- utilizing my special skill set as much as I can utilize it. And, you know, as, as long as I do that, then it's success. And I, I believe that we all came to this earth with one or two special skill sets. And if each of us were to leverage those as much as we could and use those as much as we could, we're going to maximize our potential. And through that maximization process, I believe there's going to be a positive ripple effect across you know, across all those people who are actually utilizing those skill sets. So how do you use your success and the money you've made to give back to to your community? Everything has a philanthropic component to it that I do, whether directly or indirectly. Of Directly, for example, as you mentioned at the beginning, Jason, all the profits from my first two books... Um, are donated to Junior Achievement of Cincinnati to help underserved kids and communities. I am so that's monetary direct transaction. You know, you 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 buy the book, profits go to Junior Achievement help underserved kids. Um, indirectly, I uh, donate money um, on after we close on deals. So the deal itself doesn't have a philanthropic component to it. But then with the money I make from those deals, I then donate. I'm on the board for um, the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University. I have funded a trip to New York City for a student from Texas Tech to New York City um, every year for last five, six years. And they have gone to New York, shadowed uh, different companies and got got exposed to the New York City style of work environment with my hope that they will then go there after college because it's my belief that if you start in New York City, at least in the marketing industry, you're going to 
uh, be competing with the best of the best. And so why not go do that to start out your career? Uh, so I, I fund that. I've done that for five, six years. Um, there's a lot of things. Uh, the quote, if you do it there, you can do it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, but I think so. Yeah, I believe it. I, I definitely believe that. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's a lot of lot of other stuff um, that that I do. I'm on the board for Junior Achievement of Cincinnati, um, and uh, I'm actually putting together a program right now, perhaps with my mom, um, and we'll be identifying a cause a month that will receive a donation and then we're going to profile that cause on my blog, but that's not finalized yet. That's great. That's all amazing stuff. Thank you so much for that. Love it. One last question before we let you go. Well, actually two. So what is, if you're a new real estate investor, what's one actionable step you would do right now today to get going? It depends on what new, how, how, what can you further define new? You just, found this podcast today. You said somewhere in your mind popped up that you want to do real estate. You're having a blanket thought about that this is a great industry to get into and and you just want to see how you can get your best steps forward, whether it's grasping information or meeting people, et cetera. Then if if you're in that situation, my recommendation is to attend your local real estate meetup, attend two or three meetings, and then create your own meetup. Because if you have time to attend a meetup, then you have time to create a meetup. Yep. And when you create a meetup, you're going to um, expedite the networking and relationship building and learning process tenfold than if you were just passively attending a meetup. So attend two or three, get a lay of the land, and then create one. All you got to do is go on meetup.com and go on Eventbrite and go on bigger pockets and promote your meetup and you'll get maybe three people at the first one. So it's going to suck at the first one. You're going to be like, oh, this is a little awkward, but then it will grow and grow. But when you have your meetup, you might be thinking, I'm just starting out. How can I create something uh, that I don't know anything about? That's fine. Just have a speaker at the meetup and that person, the local expert, will speak at the meetup so you don't have to do anything other than introduce the person. That person speaks, and then the rest of the time, you can just tell everyone you network. Um, simple as that. That will be worth much more than simply attending a meetup passively. Additionally, my recommendation is to surround yourself with experts. So continue to listen to your podcast, subscribe to my podcast, and then get active on bigger pockets. I love that. We've had about 110 episodes and that's by far one of my favorites because yes. you, you have real estate going on. You're taking action and uh, you have your meetup in Cincinnati, I think every Tuesday, second Tuesday? Uh, last Tuesday of the month. Last yep. Tuesday of the month. And we, we started a multifamily meetup here in New Jersey every uh, third uh, Tuesday of the month. And just with the point of just giving back and helping out and giving knowledge, we've learned so much from it with just no expectation. It's been amazing. And, and just like you said, starts out small and it just continues to, to just fester. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. We learned yeah. a ton. So thank you, Joe. We, uh, we get so much from you every time. We can't thank you enough. I'm grateful to be on the show and grateful to be your friend and looking forward to seeing you too in Denver. That's great. I'm grateful to have you on the show, Joe. Thank you so very much. So JoeFairless.com, the best place to find you. Yep, JoeFairless.com. And uh, for anyone who is interested in apartment investing, 
Uh, if it's you want to do it actively, do your own deals, then email um, us and we'll get you an apartment guide with all the resources to check out a bunch of free resources, books, podcasts, things like that. Email info at joefairless.com. And then if you're interested in passively investing and you're a accredited investor, then you can go to investwithjoe.com. That's awesome. And check out Joe's podcast, the best ever real estate investing in vice. It's a mouthful. Ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Listen, tough, to pro- tough to pronounce, but good for Google search. Ah, <laughs> That's great. Just look, look, look that up. Best ever in Joe. There you go. Thanks a lot, you two. Yeah, Thank you so Joe. much. Again, this is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again to Joe Fairless for being on our show. And thank you to everybody out there who's listening today. We're so grateful. Bye now. We appreciate each of you listening to our show. And if you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rated review. Five stars. And give us some questions on Facebook. We'd love to have your questions answered by our guests on some of our next show. You can find us on Facebook at the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.